0: Thank you Bob and Lori. I have the privilege of introducing our speaker today. Uh, We have Frank Cornelius here whose official title I've just been told is church planting catalyst with North American Mission Board. Uh, The short version I've been told is it's Scott's boss. So uh, if you'd welcome Frank he's going to share the message today and we're just so glad you're here. Thank you Frank. Thank you. It's uh good to be with you guys today. Hey Bob, didn't get to see you earlier. Good to see you're looking well. Thank you. Sir. Yeah, all right. Oh, sorry, we're just going to have a conversation over here and <laughs> we'll, you guys can catch up in a minute. It's um I, I was just sitting there thinking <clears throat> um, it has been 22 years since I've been in a worship service here. Twenty twenty-two 22 years. Remember? Um I, I came here and preached for you guys. I'm sure you all remember that, right? Just just kind of picture hair that was brown and, and a beard that was brown. Maybe you can get there. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I came and preached here 20, 22 years ago. And I know it was in September because one of the things I was asked to do was talk about the Colorado Missions offering. So I know it was in September. So anyway, <clears throat> happy anniversary. All right. Um, you know I think part of human nature is is that when we um, when, when we see things a lot I'll not, I will not do that again um, when we see the same thing over and over see it a lot um, it, it just kind of tends to lose focus we don't see it as much we just kind of Glance over it, and um, <clears throat> do I need to make an adjustment of some kind? Okay, um, and so we just we just tend to not notice as much, and it and it loses some meaning for us. Uh, Psalm twenty three is uh, probably one of the most used passages in in the world, uh, maybe outside of John three sixteen. Um, I can't remember ever being to a funeral where Psalm 23 wasn't read, and, um, and it's used in other places. And so you, you see wall hangings and pictures that have Psalm 23 on it. Uh, but I think sometimes, just because of the familiarity, we don't always uh, think about exactly what, what is being said there and, and just the great meaning of, of this psalm to our life. So today we're going to look at Psalm 23. And we'll start out by reading that. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Uh, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for an opportunity just to, just to have a little time to worship you, and, and Father, also to, to learn from your word. And we just pray, Lord, that as we, as we search the scriptures this morning, that uh, you would anoint this time, That um, you would just uh, help us to see what you have for each of us in this passage this morning. And Father, whatever needs we may have walked in this morning with in our lives, uh, we pray that you would use your word today to meet those needs. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I want to start out by looking at verse 1 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, This is basically David's theme for Psalm 23. Um, it's not just another part of it, but it's, it's, he's laying out a theme here of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he uses the word Yahweh for Lord here. It's uh, I am. It's the same, same uh, name for God that when, when Moses, uh, God was speaking to Moses, sending him to the Pharaoh, and Moses said, who, uh, who, shall, you know, who, who am I going to say sent me? And God said, I am. It's the same word, Yahweh. The self-existent eternal God. The Lord is my shepherd, um, and and the shepherd is really an interesting concept in Scripture for a lot of reasons. Um, in the Bible times, in Old Testament and New Testament both, uh, to be a shepherd was considered the lowest of occupations. Uh, being a shepherd was not a a respected job. Uh, it was considered. A very low and dirty job. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe on it. And he, you know, well over 300 different profiles of jobs, of dirty jobs. Uh, Well, if Mike Rowe had been doing dirty jobs back in the Bible times, there would have been one episode and it would have been about shepherds. I mean, that's kind of how shepherds were viewed in biblical times. Um, And it also had consequences spiritually. Uh, because of the nature of their work, they were continuously unclean. So shepherds, um, they, they couldn't participate in the Jewish uh, religious feasts and festivals. Uh, later on, they couldn't pr- uh, participate in, the, in temple life and synagogue. Um, and, and actually, shepherds uh, were not allowed to testify in court. Um, and, and that tied back to them being unclean. They couldn't enter a courtroom. Or uh, the religious court, and so uh, shepherds were, were. It was not a respected deal. Uh, but here is David saying, "The Lord is my shepherd." Uh, David understood the uh, the deeper meaning and what it what it meant to be a shepherd, and and we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But I think the great irony in this passage is: is here we have David, who started out as as a shepherd. And became a king and then when we move to the new testament we see jesus who was a king that talked about himself being the good shepherd and so i think it's a great irony of this passage um and and obviously uh john chapter 10 didn't exist in david's day uh but but looking forward i think david understood that there was a great shepherd coming uh, that was going to take care of his flock Now, a shepherd had two basic tasks. Uh, One was to provide for the sheep, and one was to protect the sheep. Uh, The shepherd provided water, food, shelter for the sheep, and also protected sheep from predators and from themselves. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments, about the importance of protecting them from themselves. Um, And basically, the sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd. Um, The the sheep could not survive without a shepherd because sheep just don't have that innate ability uh, to provide for themselves and to protect themselves. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And you notice he says, my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd in a general or theoretical sense. He says the Lord is my shepherd. It's very personal to David. David understands that, that God is not just a shepherd, that, that just in general, this, this, you know, this kind grandfatherly person that kind of sees after people. But David understood the personal nature of his relationship with God when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, the word want there, it, it literally means to lack. Uh, So David is basically saying, as the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In other words, he's saying that everything we need is supplied. But I think there's a a second way to look at that as well. And um, we we have to make a decision. Are we going to be comfortable and happy with what God provides for us? Or are we going to want more? You see, I have to decide to not desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, provides me. Because if I decide that, hey, I I want a little more or I want a little of something else, that's where I tend to wander and that's where I tend to get distracted by other things. And so it's important that that not only that we understand that God gives us what we need, but that we're content with that and we're not seeking out other stuff. And so David's theme here, with God as my shepherd, I have all I need. I have everything that I could possibly want. And then David goes on in the next five verses to outline the different things that God provides. And so in verses 2 and 3, David is saying this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for provision." In verses 2 and 3, he says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David starts out here by saying, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The green pastures suggest both rest and nourishment. Uh, the, the grasses uh, in these pastures are lush and thick, um, kind of like what we've seen this year because we actually got a little bit of rain. You know, normally we don't understand the concept of of green pastures. We do this year. Um, But he's saying, hey, you know, God makes me, he leads me um, and makes me to lie down in these green pastures where there's lush grasses that provide nourishment. And it's not just physical nourishment, but it's nourishment for the soul. In other words, uh, God is spiritually Given us these these lush pastures uh, so that our souls can find nourishment in him. And then he goes on to say, he makes me to lie down in these green pastures. So not only is there nourishment, but also there's rest. Um, Philip Keller uh, wrote a book many years ago called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And uh, one of the interesting passages in his book is he says, sheep don't lie down easily. In other words, um, it's... Sheep are, are kind of picky about if they're going to lie down or not. And he said there's really four conditions that have to be met for a sheep to lie down. Uh, another, number one is if they're afraid, they, they'll not lie down. If there's some sort of friction within the herd, in other words, if there's like two sheep that are kind of in conflict with each other, the, nobody's going to lay down because of that friction. If there's flies or parasites, they're not going to lie down. And if they're hungry, they're not going to lie down. Uh, so basically what Philip Keller is saying is unless sheep are safe, at peace, undistracted and satisfied, they really don't rest. And folks, I think we need to see in our lives that unless we experience those same things, we really don't find rest in our lives. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to a place of rest, but not only that, He takes on our fears. He takes on our strife. He takes on our turmoil. And He takes on our hunger in order to let us truly rest. Because if we are hanging on to any of those things, we're not going to really truly rest and then David goes on to say is he leads me beside the still waters sheep can't drink in flowing water I'm sure there's a really good you know sheep like answer for why that is I don't know but I just know that's the case is they can't they can't um, they can't drink out of uh, flowing waters they need still waters and i think we get to a certain point in our life where we understand the importance of still waters um i'm sure surely you've all driven through um, glenwood canyon and if you've ever driven through there just as you're coming in from our side you go around a curve and the colorado river is right there and at that point the colorado river is wider it's deeper and and every time we go through there, my wife goes, It doesn't even look like it's moving. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just really calm water. But you drive another mile into the canyon, and it's narrower and shallower, and it's just churning over rocks. Um, and it's just, you know, it, and you're going, Man, I wouldn't get in there. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, it just looks dangerous. And it seems to me like, Life is more like the raging rapids than the still waters. It seems like most often we're being pushed downstream. We're we're bouncing off rocks. We're we're bobbing along in the torrent, you know, struggling to come up for a breath of air. That's what life feels like most of the time. But David says he leads me beside the still waters. He takes me to the place where I can get a drink for my soul and gives me rest. John 4.14, Jesus is is talking to the woman at the well. And, And in that conversation, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty. And Jesus wasn't offering the raging rapids of life. He was offering the still waters. And then David goes on to say, he restores my soul. Um, that word restore, it means to bring back to the original position. Um, I don't know what was going on today, but as I was driving in today, there was, I probably passed 20 or 30 uh, restored cars going the other direction. Uh, it must have been some kind of road rally, but, you know, older, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s cars that had been, been restored to their original position. <clears throat> At creation, our souls were built to have unhindered relationship with God. But sin messed that up. And until our soul is restored, we can't have that relationship. And David says, he, he restores my soul. He brings it back to that original position. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of the lost sheep. And, and he, the story is this. He says, there's a man that has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders away. And what does he do? Does he just say, oh, well, you know, I've got 99. What's, if I lose one, not a big deal. No, that's not what the shepherd did. What did he do? he secured the 99 and he went out and found the lost sheep and he brought it back. And that's a picture of restoring the soul, bringing that back to the father. And then David goes on to say after that, he leads me in the path of righteousness. Um I've been for the last several summers going on some long distance backpacking trips. And this past summer uh, me and the guy I backpacked with, we were, we were out, and uh, on our fourth day, uh, we was getting into the evening, and we, had, we knew where we were going to camp, but when we got there, we couldn't find the campsite. And so we got our maps out. We we're both looking at our maps, and it says, hey, when you're at this point, the campsite is two-tenths of a mile north of you. The only thing is is there's no path leading to the campsite. So, you know, we're looking at the map. We get our phones out. Um, get get the GPS out on our phone, and you know we we're, we're like, well, it says we're here, but you know is you know is that accurate? Uh, I even got my compass out uh, because I was like, well, maybe what we think is north really isn't north. So you know, I mean, we're we're just trying everything, trying to find the path to this campsite. We never did. Um, why? Why do we need the Father to lead us in the paths of righteousness? It's because we can't find that path on our own. I mean, here we were in the middle of the woods. Two maps, two GBSs, powered by three satellites probably, and a compass. And we can't find the path to the campsite. And it's the same in our life. We are not going to find the path of righteousness on our own. It's 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 not easily visible to us. Um, In in scripture, we see that Jesus talks about, excuse me, um, the broad path and the narrow path. The the you know broad is the path that leads to destruction, but but narrow is the path that leads to life. And it's it's really easy to find the broad path. It's simple to see, but it's harder to find the narrow path that leads to life. We have to have a guide. We have to have somebody take us by the hand and go, here, this is the path of righteousness. This is a path to walk on. And and why does he do that? Well, David says he he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's it's not even for our namesake, it's for His namesake. Because, like I said, it's really easy to to live like everyone else, to, to, to walk the path of destruction. That is not a hard thing to do. But to find and walk the path of righteousness. It takes a supernatural act of God to change a person's life in that way. To the point that it's drastic and it's noticeable to other people. And that happens not to bring glory to us when it does, to to say, look, how good I am now. No, it's to bring glory to God because everything that God asks us to do in Scripture, every, every command we're given in Scripture is totally opposite of our basic human nature. It requires a supernatural act of God. And it brings glory to Him when a person's life is changed in that way. So in these two verses, we see that David says, I shall not want, per, 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 per. <laughs> that's easy for me to say, I shall not want for provision. Now in verses 4 and 5, David says, I, I shall not want for protection. In verses 4 and 5, he says, they, uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. David starts in this this section of the passage talking about protection. And he starts by saying, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, David didn't say, "Though, Though I walk through the valley of death. He says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death David realized peril for what it really was it was a it was a shadow of death not real death and David for sure had had faced down a lot of those shadows in his lifetime Uh, he had um, he had faced down Goliath that was a walk through the valley of the shadow of death Uh, scripture also tells us that that David had killed a lion and a bear That was a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As David, uh, after David's encounter with Goliath and he was brought into Saul's court and then eventually uh, anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel, uh, Saul began to pursue David and tried to kill him so that that his line could could, uh, keep control of the nation of Israel. And for years and years and years, uh, David was on the run from Saul. That was many years of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And and numerous other enemies that David had, especially among other nations. David had seen the valley of the shadow of death many times. And he said, I will fear no evil. Because David realized that even in the midst of the valley, that he could trust God for protection. He was confident in God's ability to protect him. But David gives us two reasons why he was confident in God's ability for protection. He said, first, you are with me. Um, As you read the Psalms, and I've been, been reading in the Psalms a lot lately. There's a theme that comes out in the Psalms quite a bit, and that's David's desire for God's presence. We see several uh, Psalms where David just, just celebrates God's presence. Uh, we see other Psalms where David had sinned, and he was begging God not to withdraw his presence. There's something about David that where he just really enjoyed God's presence in his life, and, and we all should. But David knew because of God's presence with him that he could be confident in God's protection. But then he goes on to say, it's, he says, for you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and staff, that's actually some shepherd tools. That's, that's things that were common for shepherds to use. The rod was, a, was basically a short club that was kind of worn at the waist. And it was used to defend against predators. So in other words, if, you know, something came to try to harm the sheep, the shepherd would pull out this little club and beat back the predator until they left or he killed the predator, whichever one came first. Um, the staff is kind of what we think of in our mind, you know, the, the long staff with the crook on the end. Okay, that's, that's what David is talking about here. And uh, that, that staff was used for guiding the sheep. In other words, he could take it and kind of, you know, poke them to the side or the other side. Or if, you know, things got drastic, could turn that thing around and hook them around the neck or shoulder uh, to pull them back from danger. So David, David is saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we kind of understand why the rod would be of comfort because that's a, a tool that's used for protection. Uh, that's, that's used to, to beat back the predators, to, to keep harm away. But the staff should be a comfort as well, uh, because it, it gives us direction. And uh, earlier I said that one of you know uh, one of the things that the shep, uh, shepherd does is protect the sheep, and protects the sheep from predators, but also from themselves, uh, because sheep are prone to wander, uh, and they're not really choosy about how they wander. Uh, they will wander into. Into dangerous circumstances. And that's what the staff is for. The staff is when the sheep begin to wander. The shepherd can just kind of take and give a little nudge and back in the right direction. Or if the sheep has wandered into something dangerous, the shepherd can turn that thing around, hook them, and track them back. And folks, we need that same kind of protection in our life. We have to be protected from ourselves at times because we're prone to wonder we're we're prone to to go one direction or another and and we need the shepherd to to use that staff to kind of bring us back in the right way and honestly, sometimes we put ourselves in dangerous situations spiritually speaking and and we need that hook to <laughs> jerk us back um and that's That's why David says the rod and the staff, they bring me comfort. They they bring me confidence in God's protection because not only uh, is God's presence there, but God has this desire to protect me. He has the tools to protect me. And then David goes on to say in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, the way David says this, the word table... It implies a banquet, okay? This is, this is not just, you know, a, a small uh, folding table that God sets up to, uh, you know, to put, a, to, to put some pastries on. This is not takeout or drive through This is a full-on banquet. This is God preparing a table, okay? a big table. But it's in the presence of the enemies. And what David is saying here is that the care and concern of the banquet host, it doesn't eliminate the enemy. But we can experience God's goodness and bounty even in the midst of the enemies. A lot of times we, we think, well, you know, if we could just get rid of the enemies, if we could just get, get rid of those that oppose this or oppose that or, or, or not all the way with us, then life would be good. David is saying we don't have to get rid of anybody. We, we don't have to eliminate enemies to experience God's goodness and bounty. God's goodness and bounty is available even in the midst of our enemies. And folks, there's always going to be enemies. There's always going to be people that oppose something. But like David, we have to get to the point in life where our faith is great enough that we're able to focus on the goodness of the banquet host instead of focusing on the enemies. You see, that's what David did here. He said, hey, he prepared a table before me. Oh yeah, it was in the midst of my enemies. Okay, that's the way we need to approach things. Is, hey, God has prepared bounty. God has prepared goodness. And we can experience that even in the face of opposition. And then finally, in verse 6, David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, earlier we talked about the two basic uh, things that a shepherd does. Uh, The shepherd provides, the shepherd protects. And we've seen David talk about the good shepherd's protection and provision in this passage but now David is talking about promise. Unsurprisingly, the good shepherd goes beyond the basic to provide more than any shepherd, other shepherd would. Only the other shepherds, they provide protection and provision. The good shepherd also provides promise. And he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And that word goodness simply means good stuff, good things. Um, it's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 several times to describe creation. Uh, so when God would create something, uh, he, you know, there was light. What did God say? It was good. There was grass and trees, and it's good. There's fish and birds, it's good. There's, there's all this stuff that God made. And every time said it's good. And it's the same word that's used here. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. So in other words, it's everything good that God has made will follow me all the days of my life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing that we have comes from God. It's his goodness that's following us all the days of our life. And then he goes, it's not just goodness, but it's also mercy that follows us all the days of our life. Mercy, it means that not getting what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. We talk about grace as being things we get that we don't deserve. Well, mercy is just the opposite of that. It's not getting what we do deserve. The wages of sin is death. But because of God's mercy and God's grace, we don't get that if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, That's an example of mercy. And David says God's goodness and God's mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's a promise. It's it's a promise that David understood from God that as long as David had his faith and trust in God... That he was gonna experience that goodness and mercy. And then he goes on to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is the promise of eternity. Um, over in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul talks about this. He says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the, Holy, uh, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise, uh, to the praise of his glory. That's Paul's very wordy way of saying we have a promise of eternity. We're, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity. So we see the promise here in verse 6. Goodness and mercy today. Eternity tomorrow. Now, we'll go back to something I said way back toward the beginning. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Folks, everything that we've talked about today only happens when we can say that. That the Lord is My shepherd. Not that the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is my parent's shepherd or anybody else's shepherd. We have to be able to say that the Lord is my shepherd. And we have to... Look, it's not a blanket statement. Okay? This, This is not a statement of like, anybody who hears this, God is your shepherd. No. It has to be personal. In John chapter 10... Uh, verse 14, Jesus, two things I want to read here. In verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. And then in verse 10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We have to take Jesus as our shepherd. There's there's no way to experience all the stuff that David has talked about here without being able to say, he's my shepherd. Um, Earlier, I referenced a book by uh, Philip Keller called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And there's a really interesting statement he says in there. He says, the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of man who owned it. Short short version is this. The fate of a sheep rested solely on the shepherd. And that is a great truism of scripture. Our fate as sheep rests solely on the shepherd we follow. We need to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd. And if you haven't done that, you can do it today. Or, if you've maybe done a little wandering, remember the Lord has that staff to pull us back, to bring us back to where he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today again just, just thankful that we've had a chance to look at your word. And Father, just pray that you would use this, this word in each of our lives uh, to convict us where needed. Um, Uh, to encourage us where needed, and, Father, just to give us the instruction that we need for daily life. In your name we pray. Amen.